to In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. This is a podcast about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. My next guest, Dr. Stacy Sims, is a leading expert on female physiology and training. She's a former elite athlete, coach and nutritionist, and her global contributions both established a new niche in sports nutrition and established her as the expert in sex differences in training, nutrition, and health. She challenged the existing dogma for women and wrote all about it in her first book, Roar, a science-based training guide for female athletes. She made her Women Are Not Small Men TEDx Talk famous, and her latest book, Next Level, is a comprehensive guide to kicking ass, feeling great, and crushing goals through menopause and beyond. It's up at bat and Stacy hit it head on. And yet again, she's changing the conversation for women while bringing menopause out of the shadows. And we're going to talk all about it. Renowned exercise and nutrition scientist, Dr. Stacy Sims is in my heart. Welcome. Thanks. Wow. What an intro. Wow. <laughs> well, what a lady you are. What a lady you are. Oh, <laughs> so let's just dive right in. So you're an author, you're a physiologist, you're a scientist, but you used to be an athlete yourself. So let's just jump into a little bit about how you made the transition from the road to athlete to where you sit today. I think they were a parallel because when I was an athlete, I was trying to find answers. And like I was on the um, rowing team, the crew team at Purdue, and we were going ahead of the Charles and all the major regattas. And there were times where the women were falling flat according to the training and weren't peaking quite as the men. And at the same time in academia, you know, learning about ex-phys and asking questions of why this was happening and I didn't get them. So all the way through, I was trying to find the answers as an athlete and had the availability to ask those questions in the lab, try to get the answers, dig in a little bit more, but it was all in the eye of helping myself and other female athletes to perform better. And then got to a point where I was doing a postdoc. I was married, looking at getting or having a child. I was like, I got to stop racing, but I'm still going to be helping all my friends who are still racing and or becoming coaches. So the divergence came, okay, now let's really dig in and be able to get these answers out to where they need to be. Absolutely. And I think that that's really, really excellent. And it's so important because you don't have to be an elite athlete to understand performance levels, you know, what your the physiology of your body, which is really uh, what, what most, ex- I mean, a lot excites me about you, but what most excites me about you is, is two things. One is I want you to talk to people about physiology and why it's not just the food you put in your mouth or, you know, like it's, it, it's a lot of things all kind of like rolled up into one. Can you just explain to the listeners a little bit about our physiology and how it affects a lot of what we are and what we do? Yeah, so there's there's two points of contention here. We have sex differences from birth. So when we're identified as the, you know, the linear XX or, or XY, we know that there are specific sex differences being XX from the size of our heart, the size of our lungs, how much iron we can carry, how much oxygen we can carry, the way that our hips and knees connect. And so all of those things can contribute to how we perform, how we exercise, how we adapt to training as we get older. Then we have that what we call the epigenetic exposure to estrogen and progesterone when we hit puberty and we see all these divergent changes, right? We see all these girls who start dropping out of support. They're not comfortable in their bodies. They start putting on body fat and they're like, whoa, what's going on? Because then we have 
another change. And when we're looking at these changes that are occurring with the exposure of estrogen progesterone, we have estrogen progesterone receptors through our entire body. So one of the examples I really like to use, especially as we get older, is about strength and power. Like we need strength and power to be able to move, to be able to catch ourselves if we fall off a curb and not fall. And it's because estrogen is tightly tied to the way our muscle cells will respond and adapt, as well as how much of a neurotransmitter is between the nerve and the muscle fiber. And when we start to lose estrogen and we take oral contraceptive pills, that interferes with it. So then our strength and our power changes. So as we start looking at what's happening, it's not about the food we eat. It's about how does the body respond to that? How does the gut microbiome change to be able to express more estrogen or be able to mod modulate cortisol? And how does our overall systems respond to those hormone changes? Right. Spoken like a true scientist, <laughs> which leads me to the, the next obsession I have with you. And that's menopause. You know, yeah. I mean, your book really takes menopause out of the closet. And, you know, for my podcast, it was a subject matter that was really, really important to me. And, you know, as as a as a female, as a mother, you know, of a young daughter and, you know, and 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 someone who people come to sometimes for answers, you know, as a health coach and understanding menopause and. You know, we're very just a little bit around the corner of, you know, the shame game of menopause and the shame game of talking about it and things like that. I was literally at a restaurant just a few weeks ago and um, a woman was talking who I knew uh, at the restaurant and I overheard her. She thought she had fibromyalgia but her symptoms were menopausal. So I said to her, Hey girl, I didn't mean to overhear, but I'm sitting here alone and I could hear you. And when was the last time you had your period? And she was like, Oh God, blah, 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 blah. And so we got into it and her mother was sitting there with us. And the minute we started talking about the end of her period and blah, 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 blah the mother's like, Oh, oh girl, we don't talk about that. And we were like, no, mama, we do. We talk no, we about do. it. And sure yeah. enough, I got a phone call from her the other day. She got her bloods done. She's clearly in, in full menopause, she does not have fibromyalgia. And so it's like moving away from the old, old days to the new days and understanding that our hormones make up a huge part of who we are. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like when women hit perimenopause, you know, that transition before menopause, they're often brushed off as being too busy, too stressed, not enough sleep poor diet high cortisol from stress. And they're told, oh, you need to do more mindfulness. You need to de-stress. You need to get better sleep. But in fact, it's the hormones that are invoking all these changes. Yes. And also invoking the fact that you can't sleep very well. So right. it just compounds it. So it's like the conversation among us to empower us to be able to talk to our physicians. Mm -hmm. And have some, yeah, some, a little bit of wisdom and knowledge, just innate wisdom and knowledge that we're, that we're changing. Nothing ever stays, stays the same, right? Stacey, everything right. changes. I want to ask you two questions. So the first question is, you know, menopause, how does it change us? How does it affect us? You know, and what are our choices? Because, you know, people I've heard women say, I mean, for centuries and decades on end, women have gone through menopause and they never get any help. You know, it's that silent sufferer of woman that says like, oh, I'm just going to silently suffer. And we don't have to do that anymore because for some people the change of life, they'll go through it and, you know, they have some of this and some of that, but they, you know, they make their way and it's not that eventful for other people. It can be really traumatizing. I mean, I couldn't form two sentences and I 
for my own personal journey, I took bioidentical hormones. And so let's talk a little bit about that. I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about hormones, bioidentical, what is out there for us, what's right for everybody. Well, obviously there's nothing right for everybody, but what's right for some that may not be right for others, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, every woman's experience is different, right? And we can look at our mom and our grandma, but again, they don't really talk about it too much. <laughs> so when we look at... I guess the identification of what's happening, I'll just give that brief overview of the transition. So we have perimenopause. And we start to see that in our early to mid forties and it comes on as changes in body composition, the brain fog, we may or may not have hot flushes and night, and night sweats, right? But the most telling part is that undue fatigue, the brain fog and the fact that no matter what kind of training or nutrition changes we do, our body comp keeps changing. And this has to do with ratios of estrogen progesterone changing around. And we end up with more estrogen, less progesterone. And so that our whole body is like, whoa, what's going on? And then we get to that one point in time, menopause, where, you know, we say it's a birthday for the rest of your life. So it should be celebrated. It's like 12 months, no period. Sweet. Now I'm, I'm in a new phase of life. But a lot of women are like, this means I'm, I'm old because of the way that Western society has really yes. pushed that women need to be young and vibrant all the time. So when we hit this one point in time, menopause, a lot of people don't talk about it. And then they get into post-menopause and they may or may not fall into the whole public burden disease. Like now they have increased risk factors of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and obesity because our body has gone through these hormone shifts. And if we look back at puberty, like I was talking earlier, we see all these changes that occur with young girls when we have estrogen and progesterone that are expressed. We start to lose them, our body defaults back and goes, wait, what do we do? So we see things like our gut microbiome becomes less diverse, becomes more like what a young man's is before they go through puberty. And so that directly affects the way we can metabolize estrogen and directly affects how we can signal our brain to be healthy and how we can mitigate body composition change. So there's all these little things that are happening. So when we look specifically at hormones and what's happening, and a lot of people will be like, they go to the physician, they talk about it and like, you need to go on, on hormone therapy. Now we talk about it as menopause hormone therapy, not hormone replacement therapy. Because if we talk about it as hormone replacement therapy, not only does it put it into a negative scope, but then people think that if they take hormones, their body will revert back to how it used to be. But that's not the case. Right. If we look at these exogenous hormones that we're taking, one, they're not metabolized the same way. So we don't get the full effect. And two, as we go through perimenopause into menopause, we lose some of the sensitivity of our receptor sites because we don't have as much estrogen or progesterone coming through. So our body isn't going to respond the same way. Mm -hmm. So when we look at using any kind of hormone therapy, it is a therapy to help get through those sticky points where we have a lot of brain fog, we can't get up for the day, we're having really bad hot flashes, mm -hmm. we're having um, lots of joint pain and inflammation. Right, vaginal dryness, Not don't wanna have sex anymore, you know, like it almost all like you just things. forget about it, like how did I even need it? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> all of those things, right? But what it's not, and unfortunately a lot of women think that it is what they should be using it for is body composition change because it does not affect muscle mass, it does not improve our strength. It does not improve the signaling for building lean mass. It does not stop the changes to putting on belly fat, but it is a therapy to help with all the other changes. 
Right. Now to affect body composition, this is where we have to really look at diet and exercise Mm -hmm. because those are the two things that we can do that can really, really affect the way our body is changing and can also help with all the other symptoms. Because if we are taking an external stress and applying it to the body to create an adaptation the way the hormones used to support the body and then follow it up with really good nutrition to again support the body how the hormones used to, then we have an attenuation of all of those changes. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that so many physicians don't talk about. Or they tell women do 150 minutes of walking and some resistance training, which is not the kinds of things that people should be doing. Right, right. It's, you know, it was almost counterproductive in a way. So, okay, so I read something in your book that was um, profound but simple, right, to think about and understand. The life expectancy for women is 81 years old on average, right? And women hit menopause on average at 51 years old. So nearly 40% of our lives happen after menopause. Right. Holy shit. Like that is profound. That is profound. So everybody just take a second on that one. Nearly 40% of our life happens after menopause. We do not turn into raisins and dry up like a leaf on a tree after menopause does not have to be the way. And hormone replacement therapy is there for people, but it's not a one size fits all cookie cutter diagnosis. And I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the people who don't feel as though they need hormone replacement therapy, but do have to look at their changing evolution and the way they're exercising and feeding themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when we look at um, the menopause hormone therapy, it is very individual because if you have a uterus, then you can't take estrogen by itself because estrogen by itself will cause a lot of extra cell growth and can cause issues. Um, and then there's also different, different um, formulations. So we know that if you're using the estrogen patch, it's way better absorbed and used by the body. If you're using um, like the vaginal ring, that can help as well. But when we're talking about oral doses, this is where we start to see a lot of the quote, scary things that occur, right? Because a lot of times they're like conjugated estradiol, which means that when it gets absorbed, then we're reliant on the gut microbiome to change it into a use, useful source of estrogen for us. But like I said, we have changes in the gut microbiome, so you don't necessarily have the gut bugs to do that. Right. We're talking about progesterone. You want to have a micronized dose of progesterone because that's the only type of progesterone that actually works in the body. All the other progestins, they aren't metabolized and they aren't useful to the body. So you break really it down to layman terms. What is that type of progesterone? It's uh, like, because there's, the, the, so hormone estrogen um, therapy, you can take through oral, a patch on your skin. They have a, a pellet they shoot in your butt, right? That's one way. And then the way I do it is mine are bioidentical and I rub them into my wrists. Yep. Can so you just are- break down what the kind of a little bit of the different, you know, of those are, and, you know, I don't know if you prefer one over the next or caution people over, you know, asking some sort of the right questions. Yeah. So what people want to know is what kind of, of estrogen is it? You don't, you want to get a micronized estradiol, also known as ethylene estradiol. And that's the most widely prescribed. You don't want a conjugated estrogen. 
And this is what, like, you look at the women's health initiative studies, the million women's study. Yeah. That's looking at that conjugated, really synthetic type estrogen. Right. Now, can we talk about that for one second? So just to bring the the listeners up to speed. So a, lo- a while ago, in my mother's, my mom's 81, in her, in her life, in her generation, she did get estrogen-based breast cancer. And what we heard back in the day is these women that were doing hormone replacement therapy or putting a patch on or taking estrogen, they were coming up with cases of breast cancer. And you talked about this early on. If you don't have one without the other, it can cause problems. But I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe back in the early sciences of uh, hormone replacement therapy, they were using horse urine for estrogen replacement therapy for women. And it was quite frankly, too strong for us. Right. And so it resulted in these estrogen based cancers, which are easier to to cure than a lot of other cancers, but still it's cancer. Right. Yeah. And so it's called Primarin, P-R-E-M-A-R-I-N. And it's still out there. So that's one of the the conjugated estrogens. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like if you're really specific with your position, you say you want to use a more natural. So if you're getting bioidenticals, so it's body identical, you can get it through the FDA. You don't have to get compounded. Like a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to go get compounded therapies. Yes but that's not regulated. So you don't know how effective the dose is or Mm -hmm. actually if it's very useful and you can't measure it through urine samples. No, no. I'll tell you my experience. So people know I have a very good doctor and her bioidentical. It took us some time. It wasn't a one whack and I'm done. It took me a year really to figure out the right formula for me. And she stayed on top of it, testing my blood, talking to me about how I felt and when we finally got there, it was like, oh, you know, the, the clouds parted and the angels sung. And I was there and then I wasn't there. You know what I mean? And that happened too. So you do have to stay highly in tune with yourself. Yeah. And the thing about it is in our natural production, we have pulses of these hormones daily, almost hourly pulses. And then when you're taking an external hormone, it's one big wallop. So your body does respond differently. So when we're looking at the formulation, if we're having one big dose, then we have to look at how the body responds to that, how we metabolize it, what half-life is, how we feel, do we have an immediate symptomology or what happens a few days later as those hormones build up. So it's super important to work with an endocrinologist or doctor who understands what's going on. Yes. Every woman's every woman is different and responds differently. So maybe you start with using um an estrogen and progesterone um, pill form. And you have awful, awful, awful experience. But that doesn't mean that hormone therapy doesn't work for you. Right. That particular formulation doesn't. That's right. You might be better going with a a topical or a patch in a topical. Mm -hmm. So it is very important to, if you are really suffering, which so many people do and don't realize what they can do, this therapy is there to help, but it isn't like, here's one prescription though. Right. Exactly. Everybody, please understand that. And for those of you out there that are listening, and my girlfriend, Amy, always says this to me. She goes, I didn't need anything. Is there something wrong with me? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Like if you're not having issues and you're going through life and you're feeling pretty good, you know, then go with it, you know? You're lucky. (laughs) You're lucky. Yeah. You consider yourself lucky. How lucky are you? Um, But I do want to say like, you know, so my bioidentical hormones have testosterone in them. They have estrogen in them because women, we have testosterone too. And then the progesterone I take orally. 
And yeah. so, and with, with all of that, you know, with all of my blood testing and stuff like that, it was really, I just, I so uh, recommend it for everybody to get your blood work done. Can you talk about where the right places to go? Cause obviously we would think like, oh, our gynecologist, we go right to our OBGYN to talk about female stuff. So that's where to go, but that's not only the stop that we should be making. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So when we're looking at going to an OB, they're really specific on hormone and like your general health, but they're not that well versed in menopause because it doesn't get taught really. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to dig in, you need to find an endocrinologist who specializes in female sex hormones. And there are quite a few out there. There are um, endocrinologists that are sports oriented as well. So if you're super active, then they can work with you on that one. Um, but finding an endocrinologist who can really understand how your body responds, what kind of hormones you need, it's really important because if you're looking at an OB, they might not know to change things. They might not be aware of the different formulations and how they affect you. Um, so you can get a referral from your GP. You can yeah. talk to your GP. They might have someone that they know and recommend. Or if you have a GP who's like, ah, I don't want to talk about it, then you definitely know you need to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to find those, you know, I had one, I had someone who I love as a doctor for many, many years, but when it came to my hormone therapy, I was like out the door because yeah. it was a one size fits all solution for him. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Not even exactly. a her. Yeah. So, well, there's so much information to be had here. And obviously that's why you wrote this great book, the next level, because it is the next level of life. Like we got a whole nother phase left. And I just want to remind that of people, because I do remember being in my thirties, uh, from a career perspective, you might've done this too, cause you're a go-getter too. But did you ever feel like if you didn't reach a certain goal by like in your thirties, like your life was over and you weren't ever going to be able to get there. You know, I just want to remind everybody that God willing, we live a long, robust life, right? We do, and it's really we do. not about living long. It's about living young, right? Exactly. You know, like how and do we, quality. yeah, the yeah. quality, because you know, listen, I just went to see a concert at Tanglewood here in the Berkshires and I'm watching the majority of the people hacking their lawn chairs and their stuff and none of them can walk. They're all decrepit. They're leaning over. There's osteoporosis. They can't move quickly. And I thought to myself, not me, man, not no. me. You know, yeah. I want to be, I actually am working toward getting to my best. I, I like, like the Jack LaLanne one, you know, he's just going to keep getting better and better and better. Like put me in styrofoam and pick me up, like don't age. And, and you really can do that. You can become the best you because we really are the best us as we get older. Like I just, I love to wring out the wisdom I have from experience and share it. And now I'm like, but I want my body to be as great as my mind, you know, exactly. and I'm working at doing it. And I have found ways to do it. My hormone replacement therapy was very important for me. Pilates has been very important for me, you know, like full body, like really not. Cause I used to be the type of girl that had to lay in a pile of sweat to feel like I had done something for myself. And now you know, I only do that because I did, you know, I climbed to 14,000 feet, you know, it's like for a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk a little bit about, you know, the life cycle and the lifespan and, and, and micro learning, because 
you know, we do kind of micro learn along the way of our life. We gather all these bits of information and all of a sudden we're 50 and we're like, damn, I know a lot. But you let's talk about micro learning with your book, because you have even just now mentioned so many great topics and things to hold on to. But how do we offer small bits of information so that people really can grab onto something and get to phase one and then take a little more information and get to phase two? Can you help us through that a little? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is the fear of body composition change, right? So Mm -hmm. we look and we start to see women who are are putting on body fat. And that's the biggest, you know, thing that happens with menopause. So when And it happens, it's real. It's (laughs) It's not you, honey. It's real. Uh, It's real. And unfortunately, that puts everyone back in the 1980s mentality of I'm eating too much, I need to exercise more, or I need to do fasted training, or I need to do intermittent fasting, all these kind of trendy things. And that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing at this point in time, because our body is under so much stress and we have elevations in cortisol and a drop in our hormones. So what we need to do is we need to look at fueling for all the stress in the day. So the easiest thing to really tell people is first, you want to take care of your gut microbiome. So eat a lot of colorful fruit and veg and eat protein across the day. Stop eating after dinner and then eat breakfast. That's the best way to really work to support your body as you're going through it, because we really, really, really need to pay attention to our gut because we have so many things that happen with the diversity of the gut microbiome. So that's the biggest rock. It's like eating well. How do we eat well? You don't eat after dinner. You eat breakfast. And then throughout the day, you're making sure you're having lots of colorful fruit and veg and protein at every meal. That's it. And portions doesn't have to be supersized. (laughs) No, not at all. It shouldn't be. Not even doesn't have to be, should not be supersized. Not the American size. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Use your hands as a good guide. Exactly. (laughs) Can you hold your food in your hands? (laughs) Yeah. And then the next thing would be taking an eye to what kind of exercise you're doing. Right. So the biggest thing that women need to do, it's not the cardio stuff. It is actually resistance training. Because if we look at resistance training, I'm not talking about body weight stuff. I'm talking about actually lifting loads because Mm -hmm. we need to have a stimulus to keep our lean mass developing and to keep our power going. Because when we look at the eye of turning 80, 90, even 100, we need to have that strength to be able just to do the things we want to do to have a quality of life. So that's the foundation. So we look at resistance training two to three times a week. It's 20 minutes, like lifting weights, not doing body weight stuff. If you have those two things working for you, then you can start looking at other things. But those are the two big rocks right there. And if you're a cardio junkie, great. But make it short, sharp, high intensity a couple of times a week. Don't go out for one hour slogs. Don't get on the elliptical for 45 minutes. Like that does not benefit your body at this point in time. Because all it does is it puts you in this moderate intensity zone that's too hard to be easy for your body to actually be like, okay, this is de-stress. And it's too easy to be hard to create those external stressors for adaptations that you want. And it increases cortisol, which we don't want. So we look at, if we do a couple of short, sharp, high intensity, like 20 second bursts, or maybe we do one or two minute intervals and some some recovery in between, we get an anti-inflammatory response, we get an antioxidation response, and we get a growth hormone response, all which help reduce our systemic inflammation that occurs, reduce our cortisol, and help signal our bodies to keep lean mass, 
and just stop putting on that deep belly fat. Right. Absolutely. I mean, we all hear it, you know, like the belly weight, the lethargy, you know, you lose endurance, you know, you feel like you're losing your muscle strength, you know, it takes longer to bounce back from workouts and things like that. If you heard what she said, these are all the reasons like you've got to change as you change, you know, lifestyle as a health coach, you know, I find the the biggest, the biggest challenge in life is not to get people to understand food. It's to change their lifestyle. You know, that is, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but we have to, because change is inevitable and it always happens to all of us, whether you want it to or not. (laughs) It's going to happen. Yeah. I always tell people we are not an algorithm. We're not a linear algorithm. Right. Like every day is a little bit different. Our appetite is different. The way we sleep is different. The way our heart rate responds are different. And as we get older, we can't do what we did in our twenties when we're in our forties. Exactly. And that's why I'm holding up your book. This is the next level I'm holding up because we are the elite athlete in our own lives. You know, exactly. we've got this spacesuit that we don for this lifetime human journey. It's got to work for us. You know right. what I mean? And so we have to treat it well and I, and we have to understand it and we have to know our physiology. I mean, you know, I, when I talk about food, I, you know, with people, I have to talk about our systems, You know what I mean? Like we are built of so many systems, you know what I mean? From simulation in your gut to, you know, protection in your immunity to circulation, how we're talking to expression of hormones and all of that stuff. And it's never just a one silver bullet thing. And that's why the yo-yo dieting books and all that kind of stuff drive me crazy because you're never going to be able to take a book and read it from start to finish and follow every single thing it says for you to do. And you go, okay, now I'm fixed. So this is my book for life. And this is what I'm going to follow every day. It will stop working for you. You won't be able to sustain it. Something is going to happen because nothing remains stagnant and the same. It's ever changing. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This year, you can prioritize what matters most when you share the gift of health from Everly Well. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to find the perfect test for you or your loved one. Men's and women's health tests, food sensitivity and celiac disease screening tests are only a few of the options Everly Well provides to help us get further on our health goals because love and good health are what we all need. Everly Well is digital healthcare designed for you from personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health with nourishing vitamins and supplements. Here's how it works. Everly Well ships products straight to your door with everything you need in one package. At-home lab test samples can be simply collected at home and shipped back in the prepaid envelope that's included. Physician-reviewed results are sent straight to your preferred device in just days. I wanted to check in on my metabolism and measure my vital hormone levels that affect energy, mood, weight, and more. The ease of the test process stood out and ultimately empowered the actions I needed to take 
after getting my results. Over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals, and now you can do the same for yourself and someone you love. For listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home lab test. Go to everlywell.com slash in my heart. That's E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L.com slash in my heart for 20% off your next at-home lab test. The gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday at everlywell.com slash in my heart. Now back to my show. I want to talk uh, to you a little bit about how women aren't small men came to be because, uh, well, just as a female athlete, my own self and, you know, being born and raised in the seventies, you know what I mean? Like I oftentimes tried to be a small man. (laughs) Tell us how that came to be and and give us some encouragement there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we look at the social constructs of, of women, right. And, we were always put in this box of being fallible, especially if you talk about menstrual cycle, you talk about menopause, right? And and so that came into effect when we're looking at research. Yeah. So we look at biomedical research from the lab. They use male rats all the way through to whole humans where they would really just use men. Right. And we look at the data and it's just been generalized to women. But as we've already discussed, there's sex differences from birth yeah. and we have hormone changes and all this kind of stuff. So when I was teaching at Stanford, I'd have a class after lunch and I was talking about sex differences and students would come in because they have to and they'd be sleepy or bored on their phone, on their laptop. And I always be like, you know what? Women are not small men. And that's how it would start a lecture. And the girls would perk up and be like, what, what do you mean? I'd be like, okay, so if we look at thermoregulation, right? We know that women can't stay in the same room temperature as men because there are differences. Why is that? Let's look and see what that is. And the guys would perk up and be like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Everything I know is not right. And I was like, it's right for you, but not for your girlfriend, <laughs> right. your mom, your sister. Right. And And then it really took off when um, I got out of full-time academia and launched my first sport nutrition company. And that was our tagline for the women's line. So we had bottles made up because it was in the cycling community and t-shirts and everything. And people were like, whoa, women are not small men. What does that mean? And so it kind of just took took a head and launched. So good. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. You know, I, I very off topic, but I was just having this conversation uh, the other day with an athlete friend of mine, and we were talking about the issue in high school sports with transgender students. And this very, this very subject matter came up because when you look at it from, I'll call it a spiritual, personal, empathetic way, you want everybody to get a chance to do everything and you want there to be equity across the board. But when you put someone who's who you know transgendered from male to female in with females playing sports the other females are just at a physical an anatomical disadvantage and that's why we're having a big struggle here because we are different men and women yeah exactly and i mean i i don't often talk about it outside of tight circles one of my good friends and colleagues is a sociologist and so she looks at it from that perspective yeah and it's really interesting where she's like 
if you're a child and you grew up thinking one way and you feel like you are a different sex and you go through life and you get involved in sport and it's your outlet and then all of a sudden you're told no you can't participate like yes. how devastating is that yes but then if you have a cis woman who and i have a lot of friends who competing on the top levels and olympic weightlifting and track cycling yeah and they've worked their asses off to get up there and then all of a sudden they're competing against uh transgendered they feel like it's not fair right so from the black and white aspect of physiology you see all these changes that occur at puberty that in a weight sport or a combat sport it is definitely not fair because right the person that has gone through the transition and now identifies as female is stronger, has stronger bones, has different mm -hmm. physiology, has had the experience of having testosterone that cements in. So even if they are on hormone therapy, it doesn't take away those changes that occurred at puberty. Right. So we have to have this really delicate conversation because if you're looking at the transgendered athlete, you can't tell them that, no, you're not a woman. Mm -hmm because that that's not right they that's identify that way they feel that way and they are in all intents and purposes and then if you turn to a cis woman you can't say yeah it's totally fair because we know from a physiological standpoint that it's probably not and it has to be sport dependent right so i sit in that tight space where i won't agree one way or the other with all of the the rules and stuff that are coming out mm -hmm. because it's so complex right it, it really, it, it really is. And, and I, and I bring it up because we are complex. We are you know totally what I mean? Complex. We are two yeah. totally different, even though we're of the human species, we are male, we are female, and it makes us complex and different. And, exactly. you know, and, and I think that if we celebrate those differences, instead of putting stigmas on them, you know, weaker, Absolutely. stronger, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that we'll be in a better way and maybe common sense can start to play a role in decision-making, which it doesn't seem to in today's America. <laughs> Not at all. Because when you look at like what it means to be successful in sport, it's all those male qualities. It's the aggression, yeah. it's the power, it's the speed, it's being infallible. So when you apply that to the current cultural context, it's very, very confusing, right? Yes. No. Very imbalanced, completely, completely imbalanced. Well, I mean, I literally could keep you on this podcast for another two hours, and I certainly hope you'll come back again. Just so the listeners know, she's coming to us all the way from New Zealand, right? Yes. Yep. She's in beautiful New Zealand. It's on my bucket list. I've got as far as Australia, but I got to get and I don't I know that doesn't even count for you guys over in New Zealand, but <laughs> I'm coming. And now you've given me more of a reason to get there. Well, You've literally been named one of the top 50 visionaries by the running industry. You've been named one of the top 40 women changing the paradigm in your field. You're one of the top four visionaries in the outdoor sports industry. That was by Outside Magazine, gave you that title. And one of the top four individuals changing the landscape in triathlon nutrition. Stace, let me tell you, you are incredible. I am so humbled and honored to have you here as a woman for women and as a woman to a woman, because so much resides in, in what we believe about ourselves. And you're here to show us that we are made up of a whole lot and yeah. we just have to listen to it 
be aware of it, know our physiology, understand that changes will occur and stay on top of them. And then we can be the elite athlete in our own life, right? Exactly. It's about being um, knowledgeable what's happening to empower yourself because you know, we've seen the changes in the conversations around the menstrual cycle in the past four or five years where it's become less and less taboo to talk about it. Yes. And I want that to occur for menopause because it's yeah. not, not appropriate in this day and age for women to be afraid and be told, no, you're aging and you're doomed because you're not. There's so yeah. many things you can do. Not even close. And if I have anything to say about it, I'm going to be a perfect example. <laughs> nice. Because Fantastic. you already are. I'm looking at those arms and I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm going to go get on my Pilates reformer. Okay. Good. So when you are not doing all of your best work, helping others and, and giving us some insight into how we can perform at our optimal, how do you find your freedoms outside giving so much to so many? Oh, so I, well, why not hang out with my daughter, but for the most part, I have to have time for me every morning, like in the pool or the ocean where there's no one talking on my bike, where it's just me outside with the fresh air and friends, but something that is a little bit physically demanding, but allows my brain to wander. Yes. I love that. Stay focused. So your brain can go off on its own. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, I cannot thank you enough for coming for, for, for and joining us here on In My Heart. For those people who don't already know, uh, Stacey Sims, can you please tell us, Doc, where to find you? Um, our website is like the hold for everything. So drstacysims.com. And that's S-I-M-M. I mean, S-I-M-S, not two, uh, two M's. It's Stacy S-I-M-S, Stims. And then S-T-A-C-Y, S-I-M-S. That's right. And then on Facebook and Instagram, same thing, Dr. Stacy Sims. And we post stuff regularly and write blogs and that kind of stuff, trying to, to help women understand, especially in this current confusion in the fitness industry of what's appropriate for women of all ages. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of uh, in every industry, what's appropriate for women's true. Very true. Very true. <laughs> well, I love it so much. Well, thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Stacey Sims. We got a lot more life left in us, ladies. So don't think you're drying up. We're not. We're juicy and full of life. And here we come. I'm Heather Thompson. This is In My Heart. Be sure to download and subscribe. We're going to be at you with a new episode next week. Don't miss it.